0: Good evening, everyone. I'd like to welcome everyone to tonight's uh, TAM board meeting for October 26th. And I would like to, uh, do we have anyone, has anyone joined us virtually that Jennifer? I have not checked.
1: Yes, Commissioner Blaustein is joining remotely.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. So prior to the roll call, I would like to make clear for the record, and it should be reflected in the minutes, that Commissioner Blaustein is participating remotely under the just cause clause of ab2449 commissioner blonstine is there anyone over the age of 18 present at your location
2: there is not commissioner director colbert thank you
0: thank you so much for clarifying that jennifer can we have a roll call
2: commissioner beckman
0: here
1: commissioner blonstine here commissioner bushy here commissioner carmel here Commissioner Carroll? Here. Commissioner Catrano? Present. Commissioner Farrakh? Here. Commissioner Fredericks? Here. Commissioner Chemnitzer? Absent. Commissioner Cool, Here. Commissioner Moulton Peters? Absent. Commissioner Rice? Here.
3: Here.
1: Commissioner Rodoni? Absent. Commissioner Sackett? Vice Chair Lucan? Here. Chair Colbert?
0: Here. Thank you, Jennifer. Do we have a quorum?
1: You have a quorum.
0: Wonderful. Jennifer, can you, excuse me, provide the public participation announcements?
1: Yes. This meeting will be conducted as a hybrid meeting. A Zoom webinar link has been provided as well as accommodations for in-person attendance. There are a number of ways that the public may participate in today's discussion. For members of the public participating in person, the board chair will recognize persons from the audience who wish to address the board during public open time or on a particular agenda item at that time that the item is considered by the board. Members of the public participating by Zoom may provide verbal comment on any item during the open time for that particular item by using the raised hand feature or dialing star nine in waiting to be called upon to provide your comment. Meeting related comments may also be sent to info at and will be read when the specific agenda item is considered by the board and will become part of the public record. Please note that there is a two minute limit per comment. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Jennifer. We'll move on to our agenda. Agenda item one is the chair's report. No chair's report this evening. Moving on to item number two, commissioner reports and commissioner matters not on the agenda. We will move on to the Marin transit report from commissioner Rice.
3: No report tonight.
2: Get a commissioner's report in.
0: Oh, sorry. Are you offering the MTC report? I'm sorry.
2: No. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you say MTC commissioners? I thought, thought you were talking about us. No. No, sorry. we haven't. We no, have a, we... I do not have an MTC report. <laughs> uh, smart report
4: from Commissioner Lucan. Uh, Yes, just a quick one. At our last meeting, uh, uh, just this past week, uh, we awarded a $32 million construction contract um, with four major work elements in it. Uh, The big one is the second station in Petaluma uh, near Corona Road. Um, There's also going to be some reconstruction of the McDowell Boulevard crossing. uh, And then two major uh, pathway segments, uh, one from Petaluma to Pengrove, and another one from Roanoke park to santa rosa this is a very significant contract uh, that will close these these gaps in the system and provide that second station in petaluma there's a groundbreaking uh a ceremony uh, coming up on november 9th uh to celebrate uh this work so exciting news um from smart thank you
0: thank you very much commissioner lucan uh, we'll now move on to commissioner matters not in the agenda commissioner sackett
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. So, I just wanted to give an update um, about e bike discussions that some of us have been having. So, um, I pulled together California Highway Patrol, the Sheriff's Office, Marin County Office of Education, our public health team, and um, some physicians from Marin Health. In addition to Gwenfro from Safe Routes and Assembly Member Connolly to kind of sit down and really talk about what are the levers on the e-bike situation. I think we're all hearing about, um, and I will tell you we don't have all the answers, um, but but we're a couple things have happened. So, um, public health is now tracking e-bikes separately from bicycle accidents within the EMS data, um, and thanks to um, Anne. <laughs> I realized, so this is, they pushed this out last week and I'll give you, um, we all maybe got the COVID updates from the County daily during COVID those now come out weekly. And this came out in that weekly report. Um, and there's going to be a dashboard, which shows the number of accidents that are e-bikes, but in the first day, 10 days of that data collection, there were, 11 bike accidents that EMS responded to. So we know that they're not responding to everything, but EMS responded to 11 bike accidents in 10 days. Four of them involved e-bikes, and of those four, two involved children under the age of 15. So I don't think that surprises anybody, but now we're going to have that data collection so we can really track and look at what the trends are and how we can start to address it. Um, so we are looking at opportunities through Assemblymember Conley on what we can do on the state level and state legislation um, and, you know, have some thoughts, but I'm not sure where that's going to go. It could potentially look at at treating class two e-bikes the same as class three as a starting point. Um, and, you know, it was interesting to talk to our law enforcement about do they need another ordinance? And if so, what would the ordinance look like? And they it, they shared the challenges of actually enforcing e-bikes um, infractions when, like, turning on sirens to pull over a kid. And then they expressed the challenges and concerns around that. It's not as simple as one would think. So they really would like to focus on education and giving away free helmets and being places. But they are, the the Marin County Sheriff's Office is increasing enforcement when they see kids who don't have helmets um, and looking for opportunities to enforce, educate first, but if there's a real problem, enforcement. But kind of amongst the group and really relying on what we heard from Gwen Fro from Safe Roots um, when she presented to Tam. As part of the Safe Routes to School program that, you know, f- addressing this population of kids is, is not always straightforward of what affects behavior change. And so we are going to come together with um, Anne and her team and um, public health to really focus on strategies re- around communication. There's some great flyers and one pagers out there on safe from safe routes on what the best you know what to ask before you buy your kid one of these but frankly the communication has been a bit it's wonky and dense and so we're going to spend some time trying to figure out what's more catchy what can draw people's attention you know to to bring them in and kind of thinking along the lines of the street smarts um campaign on you know i think helmets is the easiest thing we can all talk about um that if we start there we really can Prevent the most serious injuries. But the the trauma surgeons who were part of this discussion also talked about the level of injuries. So there's categories in the EMS data, and that um, the injuries are on a traditional bike, you may see a broken arm or a leg. They're seeing more like pelvis fractures, things that are, you know, maybe classified the same way, but are really a much longer recovery period. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to share, I know it's coming up in a lot of jurisdictions, and I have been in touch with Mill Valley and Chief Navarro to see what's coming out of their ordinance and kind of what data has been collected. And it sounds like one of the or two of the classes have been taught for those who've gotten infractions, so really tracking, you know, what what we can see out of that and what are the best policies.
0: Thank you, Commissioner Sackett. And just uh, I have a question, but first over to Commissioner Carmel. So, thanks for bringing that up. So, I was gonna just share some data with you so,
5: yeah, so yeah, data is great so um, so we did um we did bring this ordinance forward at the end of the last school year. It's set over the summer, nobody's in school. um, so we really started enforcing it this year, so we're in October, so really the last two months, and in that period of time, uh, we've cited forty four uh kids, and a quarter of those have now completed a training program. And the other ones are obviously queued up to be in the training program. So you either do the training program or you're gonna be part of the criminal justice system, I guess, right? You're basically gonna get a ticket, right? So those are your choices. So most kids are gonna choose the former, not the latter. We have one that's fighting us, but everybody else is very much on board and doing it. And um, so this is off to, I think, a good start. I mean, we have to start someplace, right? So. And and just again, so this is very much focused on education. This is not meant to be punitive, right? We're not trying to get anybody in trouble here. We're just trying to teach people and it is really hard to teach them. I mean, good luck trying to get a communications program out. And And I mean that seriously, it's like, I'm all in favor of it and we will do whatever we can to support you on it. But it's really hard. We've created videos, you've probably seen them, right? So created videos, we've created flyers, We've been pushing things out. The school system is doing it at back-to-school night, right? So we are really pushing this thing to make it work. Um, but it's hard to get that message across. And kids apparently, you know, aren't the greatest learners when it turns out when it, when it comes to e-bike. So, um, so we still have more work to do. We're still working our way through it. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's like you go past Tam High at 3 o'clock when the bell rings. And, you know, you'll see six kids riding the wrong way down the road crossing through, cutting off traffic, narrowly missing a car, pulling out of Safeway. I mean, it's super dangerous, right? So, and the injuries are very significant. We had just last week an e-bike rider collide with a car. So that's not ending well, right? The car is definitely going to win every single time. So this is a good approach, I think, and we're just going to keep working towards it. I'm very gratified to see Novato um, picking up this discussion and um, joining on. And this is a program that's already in place, right? We've already got the elements there. You have an ordinance that's in place focused on education, and there's training in place focused on improving behavior. So I think the wider we make this thing, um, the more safety that we'll be creating in our community. Thanks.
0: Any additional questions for Commissioner Saget? Thank you. I was, uh, and I'm sorry, I missed that. When will the dashboard? Uh, will be available.
2: It's in the works, oh um it, it, until then, it will be in the weekly public health update. Um, and I guess that they have more data on Monday. So with the f- i f- I can forward or share um through Tam that link for the public health update, but it, it's in the works. I don't know okay. if it'll be no. done.
0: That's Next great. I uh, just people would be definitely interested, and thank yeah. you for bringing that to our attention. Any uh, additional commissioner comments or uh, on matters not on tonight's agenda? Seeing none. Jennifer, do you have any public comment in the room? Uh,
1: uh, no. Any any online? Yes. Clayton Smith, please unmute. Clayton Smith, please unmute.
6: Yes, I have a couple of questions. One question would be uh, concerning the Petaluma Station. Um, first off, I'm a little surprised at $62 million, but how much of that $62 million is actually going that station specifically Uh, the additional question would be how much uh, time uh, does stopping at that adding that stop to the uh, journey coming south add to the how much time does that add to the whole uh, um, uh, whole time takes to get down to San Rafael the other question about the e-bikes yes I live in Mill Valley and I have constant experience with these e-bikes, particularly on the very narrow um, bike lane that is uh, going between Tam High and Tam Junction. And I really, of course, I agree, it's a lot of very uh, troublesome driving by these kids. But also, I'm curious, when are you going to uh, start licensing these motor vehicles These are motorized transports and they should be licensed like any other motorized transport. And I think given what you just said about the collision with a car, there must be some kind of insurance also going along with the use of motorized transport on public roads. That would only be fair and would add a little bit of financial discipline to the equation of the way these people drive those bikes. Thank you.
0: For any additional public comment online?
1: I don't see any hands this time chair.
4: So we'll move on to item number three and we'll- Chair, move- can I just quickly clarify something? Cause I think the public commenter uh, misheard. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. So the, the total contract uh, was $32 million, not $62 million. Uh, the station is about $13 million of that, uh, and $20 million of that total contract is for Pathways. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Commissioner, looking for that clarification. We'll now move on to agenda item number three, the executive director's report. Anne?
7: All right. Thank you, Chair Colbert. So uh, due to the length of meetings today, I have decided to forego my usual slide presentation. Uh, I will note that my executive director's report was sent out in the supplemental materials. And I do want to just quickly highlight a couple of things from that. Um, First, uh, as you know, International Walk and Roll to School Day was October 4th. And we had really phenomenal participation at schools all around the county. Um, I know some of you were at these events. Uh, I was at an event. Some others, TAM staff joined. And um, the Safe Routes team and all the volunteers really showed up to make it a successful day. So thank you to everyone involved in that. Also wanted to note that um, TAM will be holding a webinar focused on school transportation electrification, so chargers, um, utility vehicles, that kind of thing. Uh, This is um, similar to some of the other uh, webinars that we've held focusing on different aspects of the Alt Fuels program. That webinar is scheduled for November 14th. There's a link in the report, and uh, we would be um, appreciative if you could share it with your networks and encourage folks to sign up. And then the last thing I wanted to highlight is that the annual Focus on the Future conference is next week, and it's in San Francisco. This is an event that's organized yearly by the Self-Help Counties Coalition, of which Tam is a member, thanks to our Measure AA sales tax. Um, So I will be participating in the CEO roundtable at the conference, and we have two posters featured in the poster session this year, one for the North-South Greenway and one for the Alt Fuels program and I'd be happy to answer any questions about my report. Thank you.
0: Thank you, any questions for Ann on that? None, um, Jennifer, any public comment online? I'm not seeing any in the room.
1: I don't see any hands raised at this time, Chair.
0: Great, we'll move on to item number four. This is for public comment from items not on tonight's agenda. For up to two minutes per speaker. Um, while members of the public are welcome to address the board on the Brown Act, board members may not deliberate or take action on items not in the agenda and may generally only listen. Jennifer, any public comment online for open time?
1: Clayton Smith, please unmute.
6: We're now witnessing the visit of Governor Newsom to China, our country's principal geo political and economic rival. This at a time when our military is making its largest deployment since the Gulf War for possible possible active operations against China's allies in the Middle East. The cover story is his concern about our continuing so-called green energy supplies, wind turbines, EV batteries, solar panels, and replacement parts all produced in China. This speaks volumes to the price we must pay to indulge in the fiasco of the so-called Green New Deal, a program based largely on pseudoscience put upon our society by the climate alarmist communities whose assertions are now being widely questioned. Its expense is now being recognized as a major cause of the economic underperformance and suffering of the American working class. In this regard, a recent study has come out comparing the charging costs of EVs to the price of gasoline. With all costs involved, including taxes and subsidies, the cost of fueling an EV is equivalent to gasoline at over $17 a gallon. Only the wealthy enclaves such as Marin are EVs at all really feasible. Were Newsom ever in a position to impose them on the rest of America, it would likely lead to a permanent economic impairment of the working class. Uh, Not, I think, that the rich fellows, as the song says, north of Richmond, would really give a a dime.
1: Thank you.
0: Jennifer, I'm not seeing any other additional public comment online. Are you?
1: Uh, no.
0: Then we'll move on to item number five. This is the consent calendar. calendar. Uh, do any of my fellow commissioners have any changes? I'm not seeing any. Jennifer, any public comment online concerning item number five?
1: I don't see any hands raised at this time,
3: Chair.
0: Thank you, Jennifer. Would anyone care to make a motion? So moved. Second. First by Katrana, second by Commissioner Cool. Jennifer the roll, please
1: Commissioner Beckman yes. Commissioner Blaustein yes. Commissioner Bushy yes. Commissioner Carmel yes. Commissioner Carroll Yes. commissioner Katrano? yes. Commissioner Frock yes. Commissioner Fredericks. Commissioner Cool yes. Commissioner Rice. yes. Commissioner Sackett yes. Vice-Chair Lucan? Yes. Chair Colbert?
0: Yes, item passes. We'll now move on to item number six. Programming of fiscal year 2023 to 2024 and fiscal year 2024 to 2025, TFCA and TDA Article Three funds. This is an action item. Anne?
7: Uh Scott McDonald will be presenting this item. I just wanted to say overall it is... Um, Pretty much a good news item with about $1.2 million going to bike and pedestrian projects and plans throughout the county. Scott.
8: There we go. All right. Thanks again, Anne. Um, And good evening, Chair, Commissioners. Um, yeah, this is regarding the um, programming recommendation for the Transportation Fund for Clean Air and um, Transportation Development Act Article Three funds from fiscal years 2023 to 2024, as well as 2024 to 2025, and I'll refer to them as TFCA and TDA moving forward. Next slide, please. So annually, TAM receives um, funding in the form of the TFCA from the Air District, and that funding can go toward a variety of types of projects that can reduce um, greenhouse gas uh, emissions, uh, which include bicycle and pedestrian projects and TDA funds from MTC uh, for bike and pedestrian projects specifically. Um, We program these funds on a two-year cycle. Uh, In May, we put out a call for projects. Um, with amounts confirmed for the fiscal year 23-24 funds and the 24-25 funds are based on estimates um, after consulting with MTC in the Air District. And um, we had about $1.3 million in total to program, um, consisting of about $716,000 in TFCA funds and $575,000 in TDA. Uh, next slide, please. Um, So in response to the call for projects, we received 10 applications from five sponsors. Uh, You'll see here um, the request totaled about $2.06 million. Um, And then the following slide, I'm going to get into our basis for evaluating them and the programming recommendation. Next slide, please. So initially, staff reviewed the projects based on their basic eligibility for the fund sources. You'll see here, I'll go through these um, fairly quickly. Um, uh, Corte Madera submitted an application for a bike parking expansion project, um, provide uh, spaces for 38 bikes. Um, We evaluated the project and um, their full request is eligible for the TDA funding. But based on the Air District guidelines and consulting with staff, um, that project would only be eligible for about six thousand dollars of the TFCA funding. Uh, And then the county submitted an application for the Redwood Highway frontage road bikeway improvements, which is a gap closure project. Um, And that project we deemed eligible um, for their full request for both sources. Uh, The town of Fairfax, uh, we're pleased to see, submitted four applications this cycle. Uh, The first application was for a uh, ped curb ramp and sidewalk improvement project. Uh, that would be improvements at um, the Bank and Broadway intersection, along with Klaus and Taylor Drive. Um, and we determined that was fully eligible for the TDA source, um, but based on um, reviewing the air quality guidelines of the air district that would be eligible for just 163,000 of their requests for the TFCA funding. Fairfax also submitted an application for a bike and pedestrian uh, master plan update. Um, and while that's not eligible for the TFCA funding, it was fully eligible under the TDA program. Um, and then. The next two applications Fairfax submitted, we deemed, were not eligible for these two fund sources. The first one's a bike school route bike spine uh, improvement project application, and that was actually um, an application for a project study. Um, so unfortunately, project studies are not eligible for either of the two sources. Uh, next, they submitted an application for a microgrid and resiliency hub for town campus uh, which is a much broader um, energy efficiency project that we um, found would not fit within the eligibility categories for either source. Uh, Fell submitted two applications. Uh, First, for, um, for their Fe School Crosswalk Safety Improvements Project, and that would uh, include five locations, um, Fifth Avenue and Happy Lane, Nova Albion Way and Don Don Mateo Court, Woodland Avenue and Siebel Avenue, Las Povedas and Area Street, and mission Avenue and Wilkins street. Um, and that project was deemed, um, Eligible for both sources, but the, for the TFCA funding, um, that was capped at 52000 based on their um, their guidance at the Air District. Um, they also submitted an application for the Canal Alliance Mid-Block Crossing Enhancement Project, a project at Francisco Boulevard where it connects to Grand Avenue. Um, that project was eligible, eligible for both sources, but capped at 175000 for the TFCA source. And then finally, TAM submitted two applications. One's for Street Smarts, our um, safety education program. Which is limited to 5% of the TDA funding. So, limited the amount of our request. And then finally, the um, Marin Sonoma Narrows Contract B bike lanes project, which is eligible for both sources. Uh, Next slide. So, when we got into the um, reviewing the projects and developing our funding recommendation, um, we realized that uh, just about 1.37 million um, among the requests were. That's uh, the total and eligible request, I should say. Um, so the distribution of funding became fairly straightforward as it was just slightly more than the funding we had available this cycle. Um, so our, so we met with our Bike Pedestrian Advisory Committee, um, Marin Public Works Association, uh, and which they concurred basically with our, our rankings. And we determined we would just kind of go down the list in this case. So we were able to fully um, award um, funds for the top six-ranked projects you'll see on this list. Uh, And then we were able to partially award funding to projects ranked seventh and eighth uh, in Fairfax and Corta Madera. Uh, And we did um, confirm from staff managing those two efforts that um, they would be able to carry out the full uh, extent and scope of their projects with the partial funding, as their estimates may actually have been a bit conservative. So I think this the funding we are recommending should come close to fully funding those projects as well. So uh, all in all, I think this cycle, uh, we were able to satisfy uh, with all the sponsors, uh, and I think we still had a, a we had a very good list of projects that we feel good about. So uh, with that, um, if you can go to the next slide. I'll uh, open up for questions uh, if you have any, and uh, thanks for your time. Thank you, Scott, for the presentation. Commissioner, questions? Commissioner
0: Carmel? I'm
5: just curious. So there are 12 jurisdictions in Marin County and four applied. Is that true? I mean, nobody else applied except for those four?
8: This cycle, we got uh, five sponsors, um, with, uh, 10 applications that were submitted and, you know, every cycle, um, we get a subset of agencies in Marin County. I think it's based on bandwidth. We often put out these calls for projects, you know, in the late spring applications need to be submitted during the summer. Um, and I think, um, based on all the work that's going on, we may get fewer applications, some cycles than others, but we put out a, you know, um, but yeah every once every two years we put this money out and i also think you know relatively speaking it's not a lot of money that that goes out i mean if you remember the active transportation program we got you know 10 million dollars last cycle um so at 1 million dollars is part of the reason why we program this every two years we used to do it once every once a year and we have you know four or five hundred thousand dollars to give out? It just wasn't enough to really attract a lot of interest, uh, so that's why I we went to the two year cycle where we're a little bit over a million and we can maybe generate some excitement. But I think just with the workload, honestly, at the public works departments right now, so much going on. Um, just taking the time to submit the applications can be tough. Got it, thanks.
0: Any additional commissioner questions, uh, Commissioner looking
4: um, just one someone along those lines. How, how is that information typically going out to the public works directors and the cities? And I, I wonder if there's an opportunity for the board to, you know, be copied on some of those communications. I don't like to, I don't want to add any work and certainly you're doing everything you can to communicate. Um, but there might be some times when we want to get involved uh, with our local cities or towns to make sure or sometimes hint or nudge uh, a, a certain, you know, staff member to apply for something.
8: I'm going to take that.
7: Sure. So typically with these calls for projects and staff will send out multiple notices to the public works departments and more than one person at those departments, wherever possible, Um, MPWA meets monthly. We will typically go over these funding opportunities with them. There's also a subcommittee of MMA that I meet with once a quarter or so, and I will usually update them on funding opportunities as well. Um, if board members like, we can send a notice to you all as well for some or all of these funding sources um, as the opportunities come up. I would probably not recommend doing that for some of the federal program. I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about that actually on an item later tonight. But those notices from the feds come out just all the time. And so maybe you don't want to be on those email lists. but, um, we can work on you know sending a few things your way that might be promising local funding options if you like.
4: i I think that'd be great on on more of the local ones, especially. I mean maybe not the first call that you put out, but if you put out a couple calls and and you get interest from one or two jurisdictions, that might be a an indicator to at least let the whole board know. Um, I know I'd be interested in that. I don't know if my colleagues would as well. So just suggesting that. Thank you.
0: Great. thanks so much. Thank you for that suggestion. Any other commissioner comments? Seeing none, uh, any public comment in the chambers? Any public comment online, Jennifer?
1: I don't see any hands raised at this time, Chair.
0: Thank you so much. Let's bring it back up here for discussion and disposition. Any commissioner comments? Motion? Make a motion to approve. I'll second. Uh, that was a first by Commissioner Carmel and a second by Commissioner Fark. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Jennifer, the roll, please.
1: Commissioner Beckman? Yes. Commissioner Blaustein? Yes. Commissioner Bushy? Yes. Commissioner Carmel? Yes. Commissioner Carroll? Yes. Commissioner Catrano? Yes. Commissioner Farrak, Yes. Commissioner Fredericks? Commissioner Cool, Yes. Commissioner Rice? Yes. Commissioner Sackett? Yes. Vice Chair Lucan. Yes. Chair Colbert?
0: Yes. Passes. Now we're on to item seven: overview of the 2023 state legislative session. I see him online. Is it the heavyweight champ from Sacramento, Gus? Welcome back. You Thanks have you been have missed.
9: <laughs> I miss you as well. It's. Uh, I always look forward to coming and hopefully I could do it the, the following month. But uh, good evening, uh, Chair and Commissioners. Gus Corey, State Legislative Advocate for TAM. Uh, it's been an incredibly busy year, uh, a lot to discuss. I'll be as succinct as possible. My report is in your board packet. Uh, it, it includes a summary and some uh, a bill matrix on legislation of high priority items that we tracked this year. Uh, just want to give you a, a quick sense of where we are in the legislative calendar, and discuss some items of interest, uh, some of which have been mentioned earlier this evening. So the legislature did adjourn the first year of the two-year session on September 14th. Governor Newsom had until October 14th to sign or veto legislation. And I've highlighted a couple in uh, the board report uh, that were of interest. Uh, These are um, uh, bills that we had taken a support position on. So the first one is Assembly Bill 557. Uh, This bill would remove the sunset date of January 1st, 2024, Uh, to allow the TAM board, uh, others under the Brown Act, in order to meet uh, in a virtual capacity, if a state of emergency declaration is issued, Uh, much like AB 361, that's what it's doing. It's just repealing the sunset date on AB 361. Uh, You know, sadly, it just seems that the climate events are becoming more frequent and intense in nature. And so, That was a tool that uh, the legislature thought uh, they would like to still make available to local jurisdictions. So the governor signed that bill. Uh, There is uh, a a bill that we also supported, uh, Senate Bill 381. So this is regarding e-bikes. It requires the Mineta Institute at San Jose State to consult with relevant stakeholders. The bill does not define whom relevant stakeholders are but uh, they're supposed to uh, by January 1st of 2026 conduct a study on uh, e-bikes uh to discuss you know uh, safety uh, uh you know on, uh, how to properly use them what the rules of the road uh, should be when it comes to e-bikes um even sorry uh injuries uh crash data uh, factors and circumstances uh that Uh, contributed to the crashes, um, laws in other states uh, that pertain to e-bikes that we could also maybe codify here, Um, the safety and performance of e-bike batteries, um, the manufacturing of e-bikes. And so it's a pretty comprehensive list of things that the Mineta Institute is uh, supposed to uh, survey and so maybe this is one of those things. I'll dig in uh, some more if TAM or some of our affiliate coalitions, uh, p- perhaps the League of Cities, CSAC, uh, the Self-Help Counties Coalition, CalCOG, can be a participant um, in their uh, in their study that might uh, yield some value uh, for us. Um, aside from that, the, there are a couple constitutional amendments that are worth watching Uh, The legislature did pass Assembly Constitutional Amendment 1, and so this will be on the November 2024 ballot, and what it does is it reduces the vote threshold from a two-thirds to a 55% majority vote uh, of the electorate, uh, much like school bonds, and it does uh, allow for either uh, bonding capacity or uh, sales tax measures for infrastructure uh, uh, to be considered, and so Uh, First, the voters have to be able to approve that constitutional amendment before a local jurisdiction can take advantage of the lower vote threshold. Uh, There is a competing measure, and that's uh, constitutional, uh, or sorry, there's an initiative that the California Business Roundtable has uh, qualified for the November ballot as well. They have until June 27th of uh, next year to notify uh, the Secretary of State if they intend to proceed, and what that initiative would do is, it would make all taxes so specific ones, which are currently two thirds, and general taxes, which are currently majority vote, to make all taxes a two thirds vote. Uh, but the legislature is sitting on a constitutional amendment. It's a it's ACA thirteen. It's currently at the Senate desk in order to help facilitate negotiations to hopefully make that initiative go away. Uh, and what that uh, measure does ACA 13 does is it would require the Business Roundtable initiative to also pass at a two thirds vote uh, for it to, um, uh, to 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 pass. So uh, it bears watching. 2024 is going to be an incredibly busy year. Uh, I know for uh, for instance, Smart's uh, going to go out uh, possibly for an extension of Measure Q. Uh, MTC is looking at a couple different regional measures. And so, one other thing to keep track of is uh, the Bradley Burns uh, local sales tax cap of 2%. I know that we have a couple cities uh, in Sonoma, I think it's Cotati and Petaluma that might be close. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I hear Petaluma might have some other uh, initiatives that they might want voters to consider. And then uh, in our neck of the woods, Larkspur, San uh, Rafael. And uh, a couple others, I think, might be close uh, to that 2% cap. So it bears watching, given that the November ballot could be very saturated and making sure that we maintain some of the existing funding sources to help us out with our uh, multimodal uh, goals. And so uh, just one other quick note, Mr. Chair, and that's on the state budget. Uh, The uh, deadline for tax collection was uh, pushed yet again from October 16th to November 16th. The legislature is awaiting the collection of $44.5 billion worth of revenue. That's from capital gains, corporate taxes, and personal income tax. Uh, you may recall that last uh, fiscal year, in fiscal year 2022-23, we had a $97.5 billion surplus. Uh, this fiscal year for twenty-three twenty-four, we had a $31.5 billion deficit, and so every dollar pretty much matters but they've only collected about 17 billion dollars out of that 44 billion so we're hoping that they have better news to share uh come November and um you know it doesn't uh eat into uh the 24-25 fiscal year so we're watching that and final note uh i think all of us are really excited uh to work with uh the uh, senate uh, president elect Uh, uh, current Majority Leader uh, Mike McGuire, uh, who I believe will be taking over for Senator Atkins, who's stepping down. I think he'll take over probably in January. There is not an official date yet on when that transfer will happen, but um, it's a great opportunity for us to take care of issues in Marin and the North Bay. So we look forward to that opportunity. So Mr. Chair, I'll stop right there and I'm happy to take any questions or comments uh, that you or commissioners may have.
0: Thank you for that uptake Gus. I'll remind uh, my colleagues this is a discussion item so we're going to go right to questions and comments. Commissioner Carmel. So point of clarification. Um,
5: I thought Bradley Burns was 1% not 2%.
9: No, it's it's 2% uh, Commissioner and Sonoma actually has an exemption in statute uh, that uh, they have an additional 1% exemption. Uh, And that carries forward until uh, 2026. So you have to pass an ordinance to put something on the ballot before that 1% is exhausted in its entirety. But yeah, Bradley Burns is 2%. So the state rate, by the way, is um, it's 7.5, but the current state rate is seven and a quarter. So, you know, folks that are at 9.25, I think might be at or or hugging that uh, that cap.
0: Thanks. Additional questions and or comments? All right, I'm not seeing any. Jennifer, any public comment in-house? None, public comment online?
1: Chair, I don't see any hands raised at this time.
0: Well, Gus, as always, thank you. Nice to see you. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. We'll now move on to uh, item number, our final item, the infrastructure investment in jobs Act Grant Funding Strategy, this is also a discussion item. Ann?
7: Yeah, I'd like to just say a couple quick words about this and introduce uh, our consultant who's been helping on this. So we've talked um, over the last year or so about the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act or IIJA and um, all the potential opportunities it presents. I know Tam has applied for a few of these programs and many local jurisdictions have as well um and so what we are going to present to you tonight is as an effort that we have done over the last few months to really try to make more sense of the IIJA opportunities you know there are a couple dozen competitive programs there are a lot of projects in Marin so we wanted to try to put together a more strategic approach uh, to these funding opportunities, both for TAM and for local agencies that really uh, sort of narrows down what we think are probably the best um, programs and uh, the best fits among the projects as well. So uh, we worked with one of our consultants from TY Lynn. This is Andrew Dorman uh, to help us conduct this exercise. And uh, Andrew will walk you through it. All right.
10: Thanks, Anne. Good evening, Chair and Commissioners. Uh, It's great to be here tonight. Um, By way of brief intro, I uh, cut my teeth on this topic, working for former Senator Boxer in D.C. on federal transportation legislation for years. So it's fun to come back full circle here and talk about federal transportation funding here in in Marin. So I'm excited to be here and and to to work on this project. Um, Next slide. Um, so you probably with all the various tats you've worn uh, got a lot of summaries about the IIJA. So I'm not going to bore you with that while I'm the last one before you get home tonight. Um, but the IIJA, which was signed into law in late 2021, it was not just a one-time infrastructure package. It was really a long it was a long-term surface transportation bill with a lot of additional funding as well as additional funding for other types of infrastructure types. Um, but what we're trying to do with this presentation, this exercise, was to dial into what's most relevant for um, localities in Marin County of those funding opportunities and how to be strategic over the life of the IIGA so you all can be as competitive and as efficient with your resources as possible. Next slide. Um, so these are the big picture numbers. Um, by way of context, the FAST Act, which was the last bill I worked on for Center Boxer, was $305 billion over five years. And here that package was $477 billion, plus an additional $157 billion just for transportation on top of that. So, an immense increase proportionally of federal transportation money, which is great, but what does that actually mean for the ability of local governments to, to tap into that funding? Next slide. So... As you may know, the majority of highway and transit funding is um, distributed by formulas to state DOTs, MPOs, like MTC and transit agencies. That's how it's been for decades. And this, the IIGA just uh, extended and expanded on that. The real game changer in the bill is the the, uh, increased opportunities for local governments to directly access funding from USDOT through competitive grant programs. Prior to the IIJA, there are only a couple programs really that were available. First, it was the Tiger, then the Build, then became the Raise program. was really the one source of money that agencies, whether it was for a transit project, a bike path, a bridge, everybody competed for that one program. The change in the IIGA is dozens of programs focused with different um, specialties, but that um, really opened up the opportunities. Next slide. Now an overarching uh, Biden and Harris administration policy and initiative that impacts all funding flowing out of USTOT is the Justice40 initiative. Um, and it's really focused on equity. Um, and you can look here on what that means for, for jurisdictions in Marin. Um, to, to make this as complicated as possible, they use different rubrics and metrics than the than the state does. Um, and even u- different UST grant programs have used different maps to determine whether or not you are in a disadvantaged community so they've kind of been an ever-changing target Um, but what this means is um, there's a strong emphasis on equity um, carried out and made very clear in how usdot is selecting um, awardees of their grant programs next slide Um, so like i was saying the big change is the amount of money that's available for um, direct competitive funding I mean, over $20 billion a year annually, where that was around $3 billion a year before 2021. Um, the other really great thing that I nerd out on on this bill is it's the guaranteed funding through fiscal year 2026. Um, based on the way they funded and passed the bill, I can tell you with 99% certainty that this program will exist in 2025 and that'll be the funding level. And that's not how things normally work through the federal appropriations process. And what that allows agencies to do is say, we have a great project that we think could be competitive in three years. So we don't need to apply this year. We can be deliberate and we can plan ahead and identify um, not only which programs, which projects, but when to actually apply. Um, and the piece we'll speak on the, the end is um, that grant application itself really should be the final step of a a process that you can be more deliberate on over months and even years to line up your political um, foundational steps, your advocacy support, um, and have everything ready so that that grant application, which is cramming a lot of information into 15 or 20-page narrative, um, is just the final feather in what's been a strong process of meeting with USDOT, et cetera. Next slide, please. so I threw on a table to really make uh, give you a headache before you go home of uh, of all the different grant programs that now exist at USDOT, um, and the the columns are um, are about on modes, and that's how people in DC like to think is that a is that a bridge program is that for rail projects or EV infrastructure, um, and you can see this massive growth of programs. Many of them have very discrete project eligibilities. Um, Some are just for railroad crossings, for example. Some is just for EV infrastructure. Some is just focused on resiliency. Um, But another key aspect is um, there are statutory eligibility requirements in law based on project size, for example, that really we noticed was a key um, impact when evaluating, I think, nearly 80 projects we looked at back in the spring um, from various um, jurisdictions within Marin County. um, so many good projects that frankly are just too small to be eligible under federal law for some of these programs. Um, and so what we did, it was an exercise to identify those programs that align their eligibilities and their subjective selection criteria and how those align with um, the projects that we see um, getting developed within Marin County. Um, in, the, in the commission meeting agenda, there's a lot more information on these individual pro- programs some of those eligibility requirements i mentioned um and you can and that's been shared with your your public works directors because that really impacts the the sort of quantitative is this project even eligible to apply for let alone whether do you think it could be competitive or not uh, next slide please so as i was mentioning what we try to do and this is not a top-down ranking of projects this is meant to be a resource a guide to try to help You all be in your agencies be as efficient um, and uh, looking ahead to um, uh, what projects um, would be most competitive really over the next uh, four years Um, so with no further ado next slide please and i'll start showing some of the the projects that based on those eligibility criteria and those um, selection criteria that really appeal to some of the um, usdot's uh, priorities of equity, safety, um, GHG reduction. Those are the projects that stand out. Um, sometimes the most um, uh, compelling active transportation project, um, it's hard to stand out when you have thousands of applicants for for some of these programs. I'll give you a piece of context. The, the RAISE program, which has existed for years in various names, is now over $2 billion a year, um, which is an incredible amount of money but they receive over $15 billion of requests for that program. So the demand has risen exponentially, just like the amount of funding available. So we're trying to be a guide here and show and raise up some of those projects that really appeal and that can help stand out among um, the the massive amount of applications that USDOT receives. So the columns here are those, those programs, um, because again, some of them have different eligibility um, criteria and some of them are stronger and focused on safety so they are um, a more compelling candidate for SS4A, which is the Safe Streets and Roads for All program. Uh, next slide, please. Here are some more, uh, more projects that uh, were eligible, I think competing for the Reconnecting Communities program, which is uh, one of the new equity-focused programs created by the bill. Uh, next slide, please. Um, we can move um, we'll quickly through these these are projects that are you know eligible for these federal programs um, and we would be happy to engage more with with the with j- specific jurisdictions to gather more information but like i said sometimes it's hard to uh, make those stand out and if you have a um, kind of a run-of-the-mill bridge replacement project it's it's pretty competitive even with the the billions of dollars of new bridge money available each year Um want to be kind of realistic about um, both the the eligibility criteria as well as how, if you're going to think about spending tens of thousands of dollars to apply for this grant, um, are you going to have a real fighting chance? Next slide, please. And and this is all in the in the um, agenda as well. Next slide, please. And next slide, please. So. Um, after that exercise of evaluating, trying to help sort and prioritize those those projects and which programs that could be most competitive for, we also provide provide some information to try to help you all again as a resource, um, so you can be competitive and efficient going forward. And the the first number one here is what we already tried to do here. And then, as I mentioned, looking at those key criteria to, that will be um, help your project be competitive, and um, you know you can you wanna emphasize aspects of projects to appeal to these areas. Um, Even if that might not be the driving factor why a project exists in your CIP, these are the things you wanna emphasize in your application and thinking internally. And that last piece I mentioned, there might be a lot of excitement to apply for funding now for a project. Um, But again, based on the, the way the IIJ works, these grant programs are all guaranteed to exist through at least fiscal year 2026. So it really can lead you to be deliberate and. Um, maybe patience not the right word, but to be strategic. Next slide, please. Um, yeah, positioning, this is the stuff I like from my old political days. There's a lot you can do to um, increase your odds. Um, they get so many applications and they're trying to evaluate projects based on 10 or 20 page narrative. Um, so having that strong support from your federal elected officials, local elected officials like yourself and key Stakeholder groups is really key um, to, at a minimum, check the box with the USDOT so that you can see there's broad community um, support. Um, but it's also, you want to use every opportunity at your disposal to make the decision makers at USDOT aware of your project before you ever submit the application. If they learn about it the first time they open up, then you're you're already at a disadvantage. Uh, next slide, please. Um. Here, I guess to say it, the good news is um, in the past, I think a lot of agencies thought they had to do the, the Cadillac grant application. They had to make it as glossy and shiny, as impressive as possible um, to be successful. Um, but as I've been saying, USDOT is so overwhelmed with so many programs and so many applications, um, they want it to be as um, straightforward and concise as possible. Um, if the they say it could be a 20 page narrative, it can be ten pages, as long as you respond and you answer the homework. Um, that's what they want to see. They, if they have to dig through your application to find out how your project addresses equity and how your safety, the safety benefits, um, then you're not helping yourself. Uh, next slide, please. Um, a key some key things here um, that are these are not rules in law, but just key things from having been experienced working with EOSDOT reviewers. Um, You know, shovel this is a thing, something, a piece that some people are not aware of is that a project does not need to be shovel ready to be eligible for funding. Um, A project can be in the early stages of design and win a grant for construction that might not begin for three years. Um, I think we saw this recently with Marin Transit, successful grant from FTA for a zero emission bus facility, still evaluating site locations, and they received over $30 million application from FTA. That's because they had strong political support a good application, a trusted agency. Um, So if USDOT likes your vision and the outcomes that the project will deliver, they will um, provide the grant. But a key step is the next one. Um, They need to see that you have the funding pieces in place that if they make a grant to you, that you're going to fill the funding pie with state and local resources and that there's no potential red flags like right-of-way acquisition or permit approvals or a railroad or that could... Um, delay the project for years or kill the project entirely there's nothing more embarrassing to usdot than making a grant and then five years later the project dies due to any number of reasons um so if you want to give them confidence that this project is going to happen it might not happen for three years but they they want to be a part of projects that appeal to their sensibilities even if you're still relatively early in the project development process um those are the the highlights on this slide so Next slide, please. Um, I can quickly, I mean, this is just a good sign of the the activity that's already happening in, in, in Marin from TAM and local agencies. And um, I don't know if you wanna speak any more to this, but I think there's a lot of opportunity ahead.
7: Yeah, I just, I wanted to kind of um, document, I guess for you all that we haven't been just kind of waiting for TYLIN to help us with this strategy. There's been a lot of activity over the last um, couple of years since IJ was approved already. So TAM has applied for several grants ourselves. Um, the second one of these, the Safe Streets for All, that announcement is actually expected in the next few days. So hopefully we'll get some good news. Um, and similarly with the uh, CFI, or Charging and Fueling Infrastructure grant, that is pending as well. Um, Caltrans also receives IIJ funds for certain things Uh, for State Route 37. um, I think we shared with you recently that they were awarded $155 million for the segment in Marin um, and uh, $20 million for Marin City flood mitigation. So those are two um, examples where the state is also competing for these funds and has been able to secure them for projects in Marin um, and we've also done uh, quite a bit of work to support other local agencies' applications. We will do support letters uh, when asked. Um, we share information that we receive about these notices of funding, different webinars, different resources. Um, we're actually developing a local road safety plan right now in partnership with the county. And this is a plan that is required for future SS4A applications uh, starting in the very next round, so we want to be sure that local agencies are um, able to check that box if they're applying for SS4A funds, because without it, they really won't even be eligible. Um, So we'll be bringing that plan to you all for consideration in the next couple months, and then um, just developing the strategy, which, as Andrew said, is really meant to be a resource. It's not meant to be prescriptive. Things that are in tier two or three are still able to apply for IIJA funds. We are just trying to kind of put a strategic lens on the different projects and programs. Um, And, um, you know, we hope that this will be useful and that you all uh, definitely feel free to share it with your staffs. We did present this at MPWA a couple of weeks ago. um, So they have the information as well and um, definitely interested in uh, your feedback or questions. I think that's the last slide. Yeah, right? that's yeah. I'm okay. the last slide. Yeah, thank right. you. And again, this is just an information item. Thank you.
0: Thanks for the presentation, and Thanks for your remarks. Any commissioner questions and or comments? Commissioner Beckman.
11: Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, uh, Anne and Andrew, for that presentation. That was really helpful. This is... Uh, a lot of complex opportunities under the act so it's really helpful to have this presentation be able to help wrap our heads around it just a couple questions um one i'm just curious when it comes to evaluating projects under these various programs are there criteria around uh like environmental or ecological implications that infrastructure projects may have like for example i don't know like points for like wildlife bridges or things like that
10: yeah sure uh yeah so i think um in virtually all the programs there's based on last administration, you you had not gotten the, the the points, the soft points for that under this one, um, whether it's a, a roadway project or bike path under the raise, um, or a bridge project, um, those types of, um, those benefits and project components are, are highly valued. And, um, in addition, there are, there's a, a special program, the Protect program, focus on resiliency um, in a pretty wide, broad definition of resiliency. Um, now, if I've complicated you already to complicate even more, some of the programs under IIGA, um they are for the larger sources of money, um, MTC has developed a regional strategy to try to help prioritize prioritize those regionally, and Protect is one of those, one of those programs. Fortunately, SR 37 is the project prioritized under the Protect program. Um, but yeah, for um the the selection criteria vary by program, um, but uh safety, environmental benefits, and sustainability are, are I think paramount or included in, in all those programs.
11: Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you. And then my other question was I I was looking at the the tables that break down which projects were Broken into which tiers, and I couldn't help but notice that all of the Cordillera projects were ruled likely ineligible. Um, and at at first glance, it seems that some of those projects look at least to be uh, relatively similar to projects that were placed in tiers one or two. And I I was wondering. I guess I want to to understand a little bit more kind of like what makes two projects that may look like similar projects in different jurisdictions, what would cause those to be ranked differently? And then I heard Ann mention that just because your project is in tier three doesn't necessarily mean it's the end of the road for potential funding for that project. What, um, what would you kind of suggest there in terms of evaluating whether there's a path forward?
10: Sure. Um, the, the, um, the information so a snapshot in time from the spring when I think, um a kind of summary project information was provided from from localities um escalation has been occurring all across the board um which is increasing the, the size of these projects um if i remember uh, i can't say if i remember the corto madera project specifically but one thing that struck me was there were dozens of really great sounding projects that were a total cost of $500,000 or even $2 million is not eligible, unfortunately, for for most of these programs. So really that size threshold was maybe that factor. We'll, we'll look into that um, and get back. But um, that was a one of those unfortunate, um, I think for some of those projects was for most programs you have that there's a minimum project size and that um, there's no way around that. Okay, thank you.
3: Thank you so much. Really appreciate the presentation and you being here. I my I guess it's a question for Andrew or Ann. So I'm I'm thinking about multi-jurisdictional projects. How are those handled? And you probably know the project I'm thinking about, Ann.
7: Maybe I can think of a couple. Um, I mean, there there typically needs to be one agency that's the lead agency in the application. They're going to be responsible for having an agreement with USDOT and for delivering the project. So if there's more than one jurisdiction involved then the others would need to have some sort of you know commitment or um sort of uh, secondary sponsor status but i think in general you know multi-jurisdictional projects are typically those um that would also have a bigger impact bigger benefits and so uh potentially more interesting to USDOT and Andrew maybe you want to add to that
10: Yeah i think um USDOT likes Likes that collaboration, like seeing whether, um, and one thing I didn't get into was um, a lot of these programs, there's a real immense growth of planning funding for some of these programs. For example, the Safe Streets and Roads for All program um, is a brand new billion dollar a year program for roadway safety, which is incredible because that from zero to a billion dollars a year. Um, but about half that money is just for planning, just for plans, um, whether it's a a a regional plan a county-wide plan or a plan for Corta madera um to do really high quality vision zero plans um and they do really encourage those um multi-jurisdictional plans i think that's a good uh, point for the being deliberate and thinking those take you know i think USDT will be able to see if you scramble and try to throw five cities together and put together who's the lead
12: pretty transparent
10: yeah but um i think they there is some interest for those for the plans and some of those programs, but I do think those can take time to really um, look look well polished.
3: Okay, and then a related question would be around the sort of administrative burden, both in terms of putting together um, a package, and application, and all the front up, front upfront work, but then also um, the degree to the burden in terms of managing a grant that's been received. For we have very different size cities and towns with different capacity. Capacity and um, it's a two-part question because I'm I've always thought that there's a role for TAM to play and or and potentially and play in terms of uh, bringing a consultant on board to help our smaller cities and towns actually do the
7: administ handle the administrative piece of some of these grants. Um, I mean, that's something that we've considered more on the application side is bringing on potentially consultant support to help with some of the applications, which can be pretty extensive. I think in terms of TAM consultants to help with grant administration.
3: Um, Let me, maybe I'll rephrase the question. Okay. H- how burdensome is, is, is going to be, or the, is a raised grant um, going to be? to a small town if you you actually win the grant in terms of administering it?
7: Well, um, there will definitely be requirements. I mean, there are quite a lot of federal requirements, and that's one thing that you need to consider when you're even thinking about applying for the funds is can you actually meet those requirements in terms of reporting um, by America, you know, a lot of different standards that apply. Um, Having said that, a lot of agencies are receiving federal funds through other programs, you know, non-DOT programs, maybe HHS or something else. And so they might already be in a position to accept the funds and deal with the federal requirements. I I mean, I would say it's not really that different than getting a grant through Caltrans, for example. There's a lot of administrative requirements for state funds also. So I think as long as the staff is prepared and is um able to put in you know the time that's needed to meet them you know these federal grants can be a lot of money and so that's that's part of the trade-off I, no too. I,
3: and i i i raised i just i do it would it it projects can be um you can have large projects in a small city right and um so anyway i think it's an important thing to be aware of and uh the 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 ability of uh, the degree to which TAM can actually be supportive in terms of the application process or on the other end of any of these um, highly thick stacks of paperwork types of of grants that um, are available. Yeah, thanks.
0: Mr. Carroll? Two uh, questions.
13: Uh, I'm curious then on the uh, Justice 40, Quinn is listed, and I'm sure a lot of the residents would love transportation funding to get out of there. Um, But I'm curious why Marin City is not listed as a just authority. I think we'll have to look into that and get back to you. Yeah. And the other thing, sort of picking up on something Commissioner Rice brought up, I've yet to meet a public works director who felt he had enough hours in the day or the staff um, to review grant material. So I'm curious since most of the cities list their projects. In their capital improvement. List. If there is some way to those capital improvement lists and make suggestions to the city, which projects might go with which funding.
7: Uh, Commissioner, that is essentially what we tried to do here. I mean, we didn't go through all the CIPs, but we surveyed all the jurisdictions to get um, their projects that they kind of have on deck for the next few years. So there may be projects in a jurisdiction that are anticipated that are further out that they didn't report to us, or maybe some things have been updated. But essentially that is the exercise that we went through here.
13: Okay, well, that's the point I'm trying to make is that you are aware of the funding and what it might apply to, particularly under the uh, jobs acts, the increased funding that they may be totally unaware of that they have a project that qualifies for one of those major increases. And would it be simpler if you guys, you know, if it was put out there that they could submit their CIPs once a year and as a courtesy, you'd review and flag any potential funding. Cause like ours lists, you know, they're ranked by importance, but there might be one we haven't ranked highly that might be uniquely qualified for funds that we're not aware of. And so I'm thinking, we're not experts in grant funding. I think Sausalito is the only city I've heard of that is hired a consultant specifically to look over all of their departments for grant opportunities. Most of our cities can't afford that. This is your specialty. Why not reverse engineer this? That's all my point.
5: Commissioner Cormorant? Yeah. Yeah, I Kind of a somewhat similar question to some of the others. it is remarkably, if I look at these tier one and tier two projects, it is remarkably lumpy. So, um, it's Tiburon Nevada, which is a big city, Mill Valley, which is third largest city, have collectively like four four different projects on either tier one and tier two. San Anselmo alone has got seven, you know, and San Anselmo together with San Rafael and the county have got 17. Cornemaria Ross, Belvedere, and Larchsburg have got zero. And it is, so do I understand that it's like everybody's aware of these monies everyone's aware like everyone's being coached all the DPWs are being coached on this they're just deciding that they don't want to do it or in the case of like Corte Madera they were just small money and they just didn't fit is that what's going on or Or, I'm just kind of puzzled at how lumpy it is I mean Nevada is a big city and it's got one project right and San Anselmo is not a large city it's got seven I'm just trying to understand why that is I being, yeah, well okay mill valley right it's just like when you go through it it's remarkably lumpy right and I just trying kind to of understand like why that is and i guess uh, part of me also is wondering like are we do we have a role here i mean is ryan as chair like really <laughs> good at this stuff <laughs> and eric as co-chair or major <laughs> not that good like am i doing something wrong here
11: Anyway,
7: <laughs> okay, we were all thinking it. <laughs> we did not um solicit board members for entries onto the list. I mean, I can offer a couple answers I probably can't explain it all, you know, the information that we reviewed is as good as the information we got. So, you know, if a city had a really super up-to-date list, that's what we got. If, you know, they were busy and they gave us something that was pretty up-to-date but maybe, you know, could stand to be revisited, that's what we got too. Um, I think, you know, Andrew went over some of the earlier reasons for why, you know, certain things maybe, um, didn't kind of make it, if you will, to the tier one list, you know, either the projects were too small. In some cases, the projects were really good projects and they got funded through other means. I mean, there were quite a few projects on that list that actually got funded through the OBEG program and through the ATP program. Uh, you may recall San Rafael got a lot of projects funded through those two. So they knocked a lot of projects off their list with the, with those funding sources. So they, you know, didn't have as many on tier one and tier two because they've been quite successful in other programs. Um, And um, I guess the other thing I would say is that, you you know, this is a starting point and jurisdictions can certainly take this information and we kind of consolidated summaries of some of the grant programs so, um, you know, we hope that they will take it back and take another look if they think that there are more opportunities that maybe we didn't fully capture um, that they want to explore. And, you know, TAM staff's always available to talk through uh, these grant opportunities as well with um, public works staff.
5: So they, um, so there's, it's iterative, right? So they have a chance to apply. You basically go back to them and say, you know, this is the list of applications that, other cities have put in, you know, collectively throughout the county and, you know, so there's multiple bites at this apple so that everybody's aware. I'm just kind of make sure that there's not an information gap here, right? That everybody is, you know, somebody's not missing the boat on some of these things or just, you know, know, some other impediment to them getting money that uh, they otherwise should be able to get.
7: So to clarify, this is not an application process. This is just a review of projects and programs and, there certainly could be great projects out there in the county that weren't on any of these lists and that would make a really strong application to USDOT, and TAM would gladly support those applications in the future. Um, in terms of iterative, I mean, this this list that we got from the jurisdictions, um, we received it. We, at one point, um, a few months before we even started this exercise, we sent it back out, said, do you have any updates? Some folks updated it. Um, they've all received mpwa received this same presentation a few weeks ago with all this information Uh, i'm sure there will be updates you know folks uh, projects are always changing Um, strategies change in terms of tam's ability to maintain this as kind of a running tally if you will we probably can't do that you know this was a consultant effort we don't have unlimited resources for that either. I hope we'll be able to do this from time to time, but this was really meant to be kind of a starting point to help jurisdictions sort through all the notices from the IIJA. And then, you know, we'll be able to kind of work individually um, with uh, public works staff as these notices continue to come out over the next three years. Can I just that yeah.
10: To, to to add on and maybe give you some additional reassurance, when we were spending... A lot of time evaluating the, I, guess, nearly, I think, nearly 80 projects for eligibility requirements. Um, we had a lot of information, project descriptions, um, project phase, committed funding, total project cost, um, estimated time for construction, and all those play into whether a project would be eligible. Um, I think I even hid the column of project sponsor. <laughs> so we didn't even, a lot of times, we weren't even looking at what was a sort of San Anselmo or a county project. We weren't, that was... We're blind to that, looking at the details of the project and the project description. So really good projects like sidewalk improvements, they're not really el- eligible for these programs. Some were a pavement management system. You know, service programs like that are not eligible for these federal programs. Or one was replacing uh, light poles, old white. Those are not really el- eligible for these programs. So there are a plethora of reasons why a lot of these what are really good projects um, didn't rise to the crop based on some of the the varying um, statutory criteria for these programs, so it, it it was complicated, and we could look into more details. But that's just more flavor to why maybe some of the Great Novato projects weren't there is for any number of reasons.
12: Can I ask uh, another question since we're still kind of clarifying how the how these things work. Um, well, first. Super helpful, uh, a sense of how this works. It sounds like um, like multi jurisdiction that are of a certain size. Um, like those are criteria that are evaluated or that might look better to DOT. Um, I was wondering, and then the narrative process. It sounds like that's a like the the actual explanation of how this fits is is a critical piece. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to the. Um, benefit-cost uh, component of this too. I, I don't want to get too wonky, but when, when I saw the BCA of one point or greater, I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit, um, what that means.
10: Sure. So for most US grant programs, not all of them, you, they require a benefit-cost analysis, um, and that is um, not a cheap exercise. Um, now, fortunately, they are now accepting um, BCA's Done um, using the the California model, which is often used for the ATP program here. So um, it's allowing you to be kind of uh, be efficient and reusing your your BCA. Um, but it is um, you know, the application in one way for these programs is almost two applications in one. You have your narrative, which is some fluffy writing and some maps and renderings, perhaps, and then you have a Excel spreadsheet that will make your head spin that um pumps out a number at the end um and usdot wants you to have a benefit cost ratio of above 1.0 which means the benefits outweigh the the cost for the public um but again that is not um a set in law that if there's a 0. 0.98 bca you won't get your grant um, if you have a lot if the project is really compelling you have good political support um you might still be successful um and it's not to say that a BCA of four is going to help a project to get a grant when a BCA of 2.5. So it's not, it's not a um, set in stone, a higher BCA wins the grant, but it is often a requirement of the grant applicant programs itself. Um, and it is a key factor. And USDOT has economists who they will tear down your, your Excel model and just make sure that you're not making up numbers and assumptions. Um, so it's, it's a it's a challenge for those, those programs. Um, and that's one area when I talk to some of the preparation. So if you have a, if your jurisdiction has a project, you might wanna apply for funding in a year, um, gathering that data, your average daily traffic and your safety data, when you're not trying to do that in a month time is much advised. Cause often that, when we've been involved with grant applications, that's a scramble. Um, to gather data necessary to complete the BCA. So, in a way, it's a check-the-box. If you get above one, you can feel good, um, but it is a critical piece of most of the application, most, most of the programs.
12: Thank you. And you mentioned safety, and then you just mentioned traffic surveys and things like that. I was curious: is there a way that the TAM commissioners can get a hold of a, like a list of the types of data we ought to be thinking about when we're working with our own staff so that we know we're collecting the right stuff and and doing that early enough in the process down the road is that something that's possible future projects not obviously this is moving forward but
10: i want to speak for tam Uh, the the cal what they call the cal bc model it's so it's run by the state Mm -hmm. um they've simplified it and they have some good guides that um highlight the key of Um, traffic safety and um, that's how you also um, generate your environmental benefits through your traffic counts um, and then your assumptions of you have we have less traffic so those are the i'd say are the key criteria i'm not an economist by any means um, but they um we could gather the links for that but they they do a pretty good job of um laying out what are those data sources that would be critical for and those will be those are also critical for the state applications as well so you can be killing multiple birds with one stone
0: great thank you very much additional commissioner comments i have no questions uh (laughs) so um i think at this point and um this is just uh an update right so no action item so we will bring this item to a close and i believe we are adjourned
1: Chair, public comment.
0: And I think we have public comment online, don't we?
1: Yes. Clayton Smith, please
9: unmute. Uh,
6: Concerning the um, safety and what you call BCA, I'm surprised and disappointed not to see Manzanita Junction uh, on this uh, list of possible sources for funding. Uh, This place has suffered episodic flooding uh, due to road subsidence and a lack of proper care for the drainage uh, that has uh, impacted traffic, traffic safety. Uh, Not not to mention the uh, low income housing project across the road and the use of the park and ride facility even the actual ability for people to uh, use the bus station, which is a major bus terminal at Manzanita during this kind of flooding and why. And this has not been um, put on this list. It certainly, I think, uh, is as important as Marin City. And um, so I'm curious, really, why this has not been considered. The only reason I can think is that it it creates a kind of photo op to um, do hand-wringing about sea level rise. In fact, what we have here is road subsidence and uh, a lack of proper attention to draining. And I think it would cost certainly at least $10 million to replace it. So it would register, I think, above the numerical level of things that would be proper to consider.
0: Thanks. Jennifer, any additional public comment?
1: I don't see any additional hands raised at this time, Chair.
0: Thank you, Jennifer. Any closing comments from my fellow commissioners? Seeing none, we are adjourned.